0: You're listening to the Sermon Cast from People's Church of Vancouver, Washington. You're invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We're located at 6801 East Mill Plain Boulevard in Vancouver, Washington. For more information, visit us at And Now for this week's sermon. What I want to talk to you about, and it does start out a little bit about um, Christmas Eve. And that is, when the angels came and they made their announcement to the shepherds in the field, one of the things they said in their announcement is that joy to the world, that great joy has come because the Savior has come. The Father has sent his Son. And so there's Christmas carols with that phrase in, and, and you see it on cards and all kinds of things and banners, and, and it's, one of the, it's one of the invocations of Christmas. But really what they were talking about is that uh, there's a whole world of joy, the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of joy, and you know the world hates that. The news media is specifically set up to not make you happy. It is the world is specifically set up to just kind of suck the joy out of your life. And so, one of the reasons through the decades and millennia is that Chris has been so great is because one time of the year, at least the believers, we kind of we kind of shift our focus heavenward and, and we talk about what a tremendous blessing and joy uh, it is to be believers to to have a redeemer who's come. Uh, And so, I want you to turn over to Hebrews. And as you're turning over to Hebrews chapter 12, say this with me. Lift your... Well, you're looking for the word, but if you've got your phone or your uh, device or your Bible, let's just make this declaration. Say, I love the word of God today. It is a lamp unto my feet. It's a guide unto my path. It's a book full of promises. Those promises are yes and amen to those who believe. I believe today that this word is everything I need to have joy and peace, and happiness. I am who it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. And I can do what it says I can do. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, and I'll never, never, never be the same again. <laughs> because of this word. Blessed in Jesus' name. All right, Hebrews chapter 12. I want to talk about joy and the, the kingdom of joy, the world of joy. The, 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 one of the great things that, that Jesus brings into our life is that we can live in a sin-sick world, in a world that's so troubled and so many problems, and yet in the middle of it, we can have joy. Think of why Jesus came. He came, ultimately, he came to die on the cross, right? He came to then be resurrected from that tomb and set up a whole other kingdom. But as he was born and facing life, he knew that he knew how it was going to end. And in Hebrews 12, 1, it says, therefore, we also... He's connecting us to something that he's going to be talking about Jesus in just a, just a few sentences. He said, therefore, we also... <clears throat> We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How many have ever needed some endurance to run your race? Oh, we all have. Now listen to this. Verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. How are you going to run that race? How are you going to have endurance? Looking to Jesus. Why? Because he's the beginner. He's the author. He's the one who finishes out. He's he's that one who started you in faith. He's that one that's going to get you through the end of faith. But then it, it, it gives you an insight to how Jesus did this in his own life. He said, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He knew the cross was coming. It was going to be dreadful. It was going to be the ultimate sacrifice. He would give everything he had in his whole uh, life, and his whole body. He would lay it down for us. But in the middle of that, looking to where that was coming, where that was leading to, he said, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Listen, sometimes it's very easy to focus on the things that you have to get through, on the things that you have to endure, on the things that are challenging to you, on the mountains you have to climb, and all the analogies you want to use in that. Um, yeah, life is hard. But if you think life is hard for you as a believer, remember what the Scripture says, that the way of the sinner is hard. If you think you're having a tough time, those that are without Christ, how many remember what it was like? That was life when it was really hard. That was life whenever you were all alone. It didn't matter how how many were close to you. You were still alone. The way of the sinner is hard, but for the believer, Jesus showed us the way that it doesn't matter what, um, uh, what rigor you may have to go through, the secret within it, one of the great blessings of the Father, is that there is joy in the middle of it all. And I think that uh, uh, for Christians, it's very easy to kind of get this, we're hanging on, the world is against us, you know, Satan's running rampant through the world, all these things. And especially if you, um, you know, get into the whole political scene and all that, which you should. But a lot of that, is just, it just brings this thing upon you where it's like, we're always fighting, but we're never winning and all of that kind of thing. I want to tell you, everything that you need to win at, Jesus already got the victory for it. And because of that, there needs to be an overwhelming and an underlying foundation of joy. Joy, from the words that the Scripture is using, simply means cheerfulness. It means to be delighted. It means to have gladness in your life. Listen. You need to be cheerful regardless of the circumstances. Now, I'm not saying you're, you're, uh, uh, when the circumstances are bad, you're looking at it and thinking, oh man, I, I praise God for this and then fill in the blank of whatever it might be. But what you can do and what you should be is that regardless of the circumstances, that cheerfulness is not taken away by your circumstances. Why? Because your life is more. What did Jesus say? Your life is more than what you eat, right? It's more than what you wear, and you can kind of run that on. Your life is more than just the immediate surroundings that are around you. Our life is found in peace and joy that comes from Christ, and that comes because we made that commitment. So I'm going to talk to you for um, the next few Sundays about the reasons and the grounds and the occasions for rejoicing on the part of the believer. We have a lot to be happy about. Okay. I know you might not be too excited about it right now, but we will get there. (laughs) I'm just kidding. We have a lot to rejoice about as believers. We have reasons to be happy. The world doesn't have much, but we have a lot. There's a lot of grounds of evidence for the believer to be a person who lives delighted and glad to be alive. I'm not just waiting to get to heaven. I'm looking forward to get to heaven. I can't wait to get there. But in the journey of it, I'm going to live it glad that the Lord is in my life. Glad that he redeemed me and saved me and all the good things that come with it. The importance and prominence of joy are all through the scriptures. I'm just going to read a few portions of some verses and they might be up on the screen. In uh, Romans chapter 15, 13, it says, you will be filled with all joy. That's a big verse if you want to really talk about joy, uh, which I'm not going to unpack right now. But you filled you, the Lord fills you with all joy. That's a lot of joy. In Romans 14, 17, you have joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, I thought the Holy Spirit just came to convict me of sin. No, He comes to bring you joy. He does convict you of sin, but He comes to bring you joy. Joy in the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you just got happy because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? That's what Paul was living his life like. In Galatians 5, 22, he lists the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I'm not going to read them all, but the fruit of the Spirit is, in the first two, the first one is love and the second one is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is, is love and joy and peace and all those others that are there. But one of the main fruits of the Spirit, we talk a lot about uh, loving and, and having the agape love of God and all of that, but very little is said about the fruit of the Spirit of joy. I think, I think that's a good fruit to seek after, right? Lord, I want to have that fruit on my life, the joy of the Lord. In John 17, 13, it says, Jesus said that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Probably and I think this is a cultural thing, probably when someone mentions Jesus to you, the first thing that pops into your mind about Jesus is not that he was happy it's probably that he hung on a cross, right? Yeah, because that's what he did. We think about his purpose. We think about his mission. We think about what, what he came to do. We think about all of those things. But what the, the Bible paints a picture of Jesus that is quite remarkable. It, it you, you've, got, you've got to dig a little bit, but it's there, and this is one of those verses, that Jesus was very happy in how he lived his life. Why do you think people wanted to be around him? Oh, because he did miracles, of course. Because he fed supernaturally, he fed people. Later on it said, well, they're just here because of the loaves and fishes and that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, he, he would rebuke the, the religious crowd and all of that. But there was something about Jesus that I don't think uh, we, we talked near enough about, is that Jesus was glad to be here. Jesus was happy to be here. Jesus didn't come and hide out in the cave until he finally reached, you know, 33 years of old and then walk in and say, here I am, crucify me. No, he mingled with everybody he came with. People loved him so much. People loved him in his presence so much. They they had that sense and they knew he was God and they knew he was powerful and they knew he was holy and, they, and all of that. But there was something about him that I believe was just as attractive as all of that is that he lived his life with joy irregardless how people thought about him because a lot of people didn't like him. A matter of fact, there were a lot of powerful, important people before he was crucified that were trying to figure out ways to get rid of him. But yet the, the ordinary people, the the real people, the, the disciple type people, those that he was ministering to, they they just were happy to be around him because he was happy. I think that's some fruit that needs to be in the church. Amen. Um, so I'm going to talk to you today about one of the great reasons believers should re, should rejoice and. and I I believe we we do here of course I'm not not saying we don't do this but I just want to emphasize that one of the great reasons believers rejoice is because of Christ's power and I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 13 and we're going to we're going to give you this reason today for you to be happy in the Lord for you to rejoice in the Lord for you this week whenever things don't go like the way you wish they would go things don't happen the way that you had been praying about and it seems like you know uh, you've got some uh, things facing you that you don't know how to get through uh I deal with quite a few people that are just kind of have a cloud hanging over them. And it's not so much in the church. It's outside the church. And they don't even know that a cloud is hanging over them. But the only things that they're happy about is when they're doing their particular favorite hobby or they're, they're engaged in some activity. That's where they seem to get their happiness or joy from. Christians are entirely different. The thing was, David said, I was glad when they said unto me, what? What? Let's go to a party. No, let's go to the house of the Lord. Why? Because that's where the biggest party is, is when you're in the house of the Lord. Um, Oh, you don't believe me yet. Okay. Um, The greatest things that ever happened in people's lives happen in houses like this, in gatherings like this. The greatest things that ever have happened in my life have happened in atmospheres like this have happened where uh, somebody was on the keyboard and there was a group of people and, and uh, they were up and they were giving everything they had, singing and, and uh, whether it be old-time hymns or new-time uh, you know, modern worship music, it's always been there where people come in and they rejoice and they sing unto the Lord. Why? Because it, it sets something up in the, in the human psyche and mind and even in the spirit where making melody in your heart creates an atmosphere for joy to invade your life. Yeah, we sing to exalt the Lord, but we also sing and we also worship because it prepares something in us to let go of the junk of the week and to get our focus and our mind set on something that's above. Come on, somebody. Have you ever had anything happen in church that changed your life forever? Yeah? I got saved when I was 17, and I can't remember who I was talking to today, but my early teens years, I, my parents were professional musicians, and I played drums with them in the bars, in the dance halls, in the taverns of northern Idaho, Coeur d'Alene and Spokane and places uh, that were around there. And um, <clears throat> they went to court, and they got a judge to sign a writ that they would they were able to take me into those bars. I started when I was 13, as long as they were there, and they made sure that I had no access to alcohol. Thank God. Um, But what that did for the next four years is every weekend, I would sit in places that would have hundreds of people. And they were there to have a good time. They didn't realize they weren't having a good time because they were all using alcohol. I was one of the few that was sober in those places. And the things that I saw occur in the name of happiness and having fun over the next four years put me in a depression. I'm sure I was clinically depressed. I just didn't know that. I mean, there were, uh, and I'm not a down person. I'm an optimist, and all of that. But I mean, that it, it it actually thoughts started creeping into my mind. If this is all life is about, this is the biggest joke I've ever seen. And I won't even describe some of the things I, I've seen. But uh, I'm sure it would never happen in Vancouver, but in northern Idaho, it happened. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and I became so down and so. Uh, so doubting that anything of value or goodness was in the world. That when a young Assembly of God boy began to talk to me about Jesus in high school, I thought, number one, I didn't believe it. And number two, I thought it sounded too good to be true. But there was something in the message that I deeply, deeply longed for. And through a process, I won't even go through it, I eventually came to Christ, accepted Jesus, accepted um, Jesus, and that was in February of 1971. And just a few months later, I joined a church right away. The church was in revival, it was the, it was the Jesus People movement. It was a very powerful and exciting time. And, um, but a few months later, in June, uh, there was camp, youth camp. And I had a car, and anyway, we loaded up uh, young people. And the, the senior pastor of the church where I was at he was preaching the camp meeting, and it was down here in Turner, Oregon. And so we drove down the, the Columbia River Gorge. <clears throat> I won't go go into all the details, but I'm going to tell you one of the the great things that impacted my life so much that every time I think about it, I I am overwhelmed with not only the goodness of God, but the overwhelming joy of how he just digs right down into the middle of our lives, in the middle of our circumstances. Uh, Around Arlington, Oregon, I had a 1967 uh, Ford Galaxy, a very big, large car. The rear end went out. And we got down into the parking lot in Arlington, Oregon, Safeway. And um, um, <clears throat> we jacked the car up on bumper jacks and took the axles out. And then I'm under the car taking the, the differential part. They're going to go to the Dalles, Oregon Ford garage and buy the parts. The pastor needed to get to camp meeting in Turner. And it was like noon at that point, and so we were working. But as I was under this car, however it happened, it happened. The car rocked a couple times and fell off the jacks and fell upon me. I was laying on my side, and it literally flattened me. I heard my body. I heard just everything. I heard crunching and all the things that go with it. I could not breathe. I felt the breath being squeezed out of me. And at that moment, I realized I'm going to die. I'm like six months in the Lord. I can tell you at that point that there was a great peace that came over my mind and my spirit. But there was great pain that was in the body. It was the pastor, his son, who was about 15, and another young man who was about 15. They were the only ones with me. Two of them picked that 67 Ford Galaxy up with their bare hands. They lifted the car up, and the pastor's son grabbed me by the ankles and pulled me out. Are you all right? Are you all right? That's what they were asking. Oh, I didn't tell you this thing. I grew up in a home. My father wasn't a military sergeant or drill sergeant, but he could have been. So I was raised with, you don't cry, and you don't express emotion, pain, all that kind of stuff. And if you do, I'll give you something to cry about. Oh, you recognize that a little bit too. Okay. Dan, why are you? No. (laughs) Just picking on you. So my initial natural response is, I'm okay, I'm okay. Let's get this thing done. They just kind of look. So after that, we got the car jacked back up. They got it. Anyway, long story short, we got the car going, got in it. I had a bunch of kids in the car. We started driving down the rest of the gorge going to Turner, Oregon. Really, about going through Portland, I started feeling not very good. I started coughing up blood. Oh, another thing about the family I grew up, uh, you don't go to the hospital unless you've already died and they need to transport you there to sign the certificate that you're already dead. That's, that's what the hospitals were for. And so I never thought one moment about doing anything... Uh, trying to get help or any of that. didn't even realize what was really going on. Um, by the time we got to Turner, Oregon, it was late in the day. The service had already started. Uh, the pastor was to speak, and uh, we got there, and church was already going. Remember, I started this with some of the greatest things that ever happened happened in church. This is one of the greatest things in my life that ever happened happened in church, and it started to change my whole life in that the pastor was you know, getting his Bible. He was, he was going. All I knew is by that point... I, something was wrong, uh, badly wrong. And my spirit just drove me, I guess, prompted me. I walked in. The place was full. It was an old-time campground, if you've ever been there. And it, this was Pentecostal days, man. I mean, the band was going, and people were shouting, and it was it was going. Uh, it was right in the middle of worship service. And uh, as I was going in, one of the youth pastor there, and he said, Gary, uh, you know, I'll get some people, and we'll, we'll uh, have them pray for you. I'm like, you can get whoever you want. I'm going down front right now. And I walked down the, down the aisle, and I, uh, there was a chair in the front, and I just got down on my, my knees, and I began to say, God, I need help. Now, the pastor called. They knew something. Yeah, one of the young guys' car broke and all that kind of stuff. So, but as I was praying there, the worship was going around. It was very loud. It was very raucous. It was, uh, uh, you remember, yeah. Um, at that moment, somebody took a bucket of hot water and poured it down my back. I mean, hot, not bathtub hot, more like hot tub, hot, hot. And I and I thought, who in the world would dump hot water down a poor, broken teenager's back in the middle of a prayer meeting? But there wasn't anybody standing there. There were some people gathered around praying, but there was nobody standing over me. I was looking for somebody with a bucket. That's what I was really looking for. And I was going to say, what in the world is wrong with you? You need to... At that moment... Every bit of pain and everything else just evaporated out of my body. I could take a deep breath. Anyway, whatever it was that was wrong by virtue of the car falling on me, left immediately. I came to the conclusion pretty quickly that the sensation of the hot water running down my back was the Holy Spirit that had come upon me and brought healing, It had healed me. And I had heard enough in church in just a few months where I realized and recognized and believed fully that healings were real, that miracles were real, but I'd never experienced anything like that until that moment. Um, at that moment, I began to worship and praise God. And somewhere through it all, and I am about done with this portion of it, uh, they came and asked me uh, what had happened, and I said, "I said I felt the sensation and God healed me." But I let the pastor know he's going to. And friendly, they, they, he brought me up and I told him what happened, and m- miracles of healing began to break out spontaneously in that camp meeting. And then I don't know what happened after all that. It was just some of the best times in church that ever happened. Afterwards, there was a swimming pool out there, and the kids were out, and and, uh, they were playing um, camel, and that is where somebody gets somebody on their shoulders, and then, you know, the kids, you know, try to pull them off. I was the guy. I was the camel. I had people carrying people around on my shoulders. Never even thought about what had happened, but the Lord had totally healed me. The outlook of life after that, in my mind, the depression that had come in the taverns, still was kind of lingering. All After that moment, I've never, for one second of the rest of my life, ever had a sense of life is futile, life is gloomy. There's no reason to be here. God delivered me in that moment. I realized that if it wouldn't have been for the touch of God healing me, I would have died. If it wouldn't have been for... You know, got under the car and all of that. I would have died. I would have died there. It, it changed everything into my everything in the way that I viewed things, and it still is with me today. Even now, if I start feeling down or blue, I'll think of that incident. And it just lifts something off me. So you might be here today, and you know what I'm talking about when I talk about that, having that weight or that blanket or that gloom or that despair or that, I don't even want to say depression. I don't even think it is depression. It's just that anti it's that absence of joy. It's that anti-joy that the world filled, is filled with. That's all they have. They don't have joy. They, they have happiness and things and that kind of thing. But they don't really know the joy that... We're talking about here where Jesus, where it said about Jesus that um, Jesus was joyful about what he came to do. And here in uh, Luke 13, uh, 10 through 17, he's talking about this great re- re- reason why believers rejoice. And I used up my time telling that story, but I do want to go over to Luke 13, 10. And the story that we find, in the, find ourselves in the middle of uh, let me get to the uh, right chapter here. Okay. Jesus healed a woman. Verse 13, he laid his hands on her. Immediately she was made straight and glorified God. I can relate to that verse. I suspect that every one of you, if you'll take inventory, you'll find ways to relate to that first because of what Jesus has done in your life. Verse 14, the synagogue, uh, the rulers of the synagogue didn't like it. Said They answered with indignation, Jesus, why did you heal this woman on the Sabbath? Uh, you're not supposed to heal and do things on the Sabbath. Jesus said there are six days in which men ought to work, or <clears throat> excuse me, the rulers of the synagogue said there are six days in which men ought to work and therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Jesus answered them, and I'm not going to go through it, but he 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 called them hypocrites, number one. He said he said you don't even realize what you're talking about, and if you do, it's even worse than if you don't realize what you're talking about. And he gave the example, you know, if um if you have something that needs help, you'll help it. If your donkey falls in the in the ditch or whatever, you'll you'll get in and you'll help it. And so he says, So not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan is bound, think of it, for eighteen years, be loose from this bound on the Sabbath. It is always appropriate to be loosed. Always. There is never a time that it is not appropriate, nor God's will, for you to not be loosed from things that would bind you. If you come up under this thing, oh, you don't know what I've done, and now I need to pay my the, the price and, and all that, but but uh, to, to uh, just live a life in depression and sadness, no, you need to be loosed from that. That's what Jesus came to do and bring. And in 17, he said, and he said these things, And listen to this, and when he said these things, all of his, those adversaries of Jesus, all of his adversaries, those that were against him, those that were trying to uh, shame this woman actually, it said all of his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. The great reason that believers rejoice is because of the great things that he does. His power is never diminished or limited by any circumstance of your life or any other's lives. And it says that they all rejoiced. The multitude rejoiced. Those that were religious, they were, they were upset about it. But the multitudes rejoiced over the things that they saw that Jesus was doing. Listen, there is a reason that you need to be living a life of joy as a believer is because of what the Lord has done in you. Come on, somebody. Uh, regardless of what your testimony is... He set you free. Regardless of how good you may have been or how not good you may have been, you were all we were all lost and undone. There was no way for us to, to make it back to God, but Jesus made the way. That is the good news, right? That is the best news that the world has ever heard. And so the great reason that believers can rejoice then and can rejoice now is because of Christ's power. There are three things I'm going to close with this. The adversaries were put to shame. They were disgraced or made to blush because of them trying to say, Jesus, it's not appropriate for you to do what you did. Now, who would say that? Well, the devil would say that. That's the only one who would say that. The devil would say that. Well, atheists would say it. Doubters would say, it. well, that's the mind of the enemy working through them. Those that say, well, it's not it's not appropriate for Jesus to do. They're actually trying to bring it to where they're going to try and make it. And in Europe, they're starting to try and do it right now. Where they're banning the preaching of the gospel. Because they, they're trying to say, basically what they're saying, it's too good to be true. No, it's still the best news the world has ever seen. And it's the most powerful message the world has ever heard. And it's needed now as much and more than it's ever been needed. Come on, somebody. And you have it in you. The adversaries were put to shame. Great reasons for believers to rejoice is because the adversaries are the ones that need to be living in shame. They're the enemies of Christ, not those that are serving Christ. The cancel culture. How many of you know what I mean when I say the cancel culture? Maybe you've been impacted by the cancel culture. I refuse to participate. <laughs> Thank you, Ted. Uh, I just refuse to participate. Um, they're the ones that get canceled. In the end, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. The multitudes rejoice. What, what was that going on? Loud praise. Um, I'll just give you my personal feeling. I think I can back it up with scripture. Loud praise is always appropriate. <laughs> yeah, it's not about style and it's not about DB and volume. But, uh, it, it, but uh, in it, the, the praise that is expressive that comes out of you, that is always appropriate. Nothing. Anytime you feel like something's trying to shut you down or push that praise down, what's appropriate is you to praise all the louder. I think we sang about it today, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, what is it whenever they try to, to muzzle the church? We just need to shout it all the louder. Well, what if we get in trouble? We rejoice if we get in trouble. Come on. That's what the Bible says. That's what Paul says. That's what Jesus said. You rejoice if you get in trouble uh, for, for uh, serving Jesus, right? Don't rejoice if you get in trouble because you're a knucklehead, but you rejoice when you get in trouble for serving the Lord and all of that kind of thing. The multitude rejoiced. They didn't care what the Pharisees and Sadducees thought. They just began to praise Jesus all the louder. I think the world needs some Christians praising Jesus loud today. I really do. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about it in a church service. I'm talking about it in your life. Live your life praising Jesus loudly. Yeah, you don't need to have the A-frame sign, you know, and all of that. But um, the fruit of the Spirit. And that we were just talking about, one of the fruits of the Spirit that they're going to know something's different about you is that in the middle of all the yuck of the world that you always, you always have the joy of the Lord upon your life. They're going to know something's different. Glorious things done. They rejoice for all the glorious things that were done by Him. The glorious things done. And uh, what, what it became, um, um, the result of that was they had loud praise and they had bold testimonies. Listen, I think it's far better to leave the house of God and go talk to people this week about what the Lord, what happened on Sunday, not about talking about what the preacher preached about, but if you can talk about what you saw the Lord do. That's a whole lot better than trying to tell them what some guy like me got up here and talked on for too long about. (laughs) Thank you, Darcy. I love you very much, and you're wonderful. I know. Um, Well, how do the glorious things get done? We have to give space and opportunity for it to happen. That's what we need to do. Let's stand up. If you're here this morning and you need some more joy in your life, I want you to come on down. I want to lay my hands on you and I want to pray for you. I believe that the Lord is going to impart the fruit of the spirit of joy upon your life.